Made to be Broken, Episode 2. I'm your host, Andrew Ligon-Fant, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, William Corbin and Caleb Thompson. Today's guest is Nishka Malik. Nishka is a first-year law student at the University of Georgia School of Law. She also went to UGA for her undergrad, making her a double dog. In this episode, we talk about boarding school in India, Nishka's first week of law school, community involvement, and TikTok. Go give her a follow on TikTok at iHeartRaspberries. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so yeah. excited. So, all right, we're going to cover a couple different things in this podcast, but the main things we're going to talk about are first your background, then we're going to talk about your preparations for law school, mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about how your first week of law school went, because we just finished our first week of 1L yeah, year, right? <laughs> yeah. So before we get into that, though, I have a couple questions about your background. So tell me about your experiences in boarding school. Okay, so I guess I've talked to you guys about this a little already, but I went to boarding school from 8th grade to 10th grade in India, Yeah, which was a really great experience, sometimes interesting, but it was a good time. Um, My parents kind of sent me because they felt like I wasn't doing well enough in just like regular school. Were they right? They were right. I was a really average student, getting C's and B's, like just wanted to hang out with my friends. Were you in public school before or in a private school here? I was in private school in India. Before boarding school? Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. So I went to like all of middle school and most of elementary school there. So that was fun. Are schools there, are are they, how do they compare to schools in the U.S.? Because you went, you went mm-hmm. to high school in the U.S., right, after mm-hmm. boarding school? Yeah, I finished up high school my last two years here. I think the main difference is I think school in India is harder. Is it? I just thought, like, the studies were so much harder. But I think I learned more, like, applicable stuff in, like, American high school. Like, in India, it's a lot of memorizing versus here mm. it's how would you apply it. So it was different. Can I ask a brief question as to, do you think there was something I noticed talking to people who had experience with the French education is that the, mm. the American education system tended to be much harder in math and science and much easier okay. in social sciences. And I'm wondering if you noticed that if there was a variable way that that difficulty was different. Um... I think it was the opposite for me. I thought math and science in India was so hard. It's just, I could not grasp it. And then I, high school in Dunwoody, I took physics and I took chemistry and like things finally clicked for me because I wasn't just memorizing things anymore. They were telling me how to apply it. I was like, maybe I could have been a doctor. I just didn't know, but <laughs> it was good. Um, what else? What, what else was it, different? Why do you say maybe you could have been a doctor? Because... I took like double sciences okay. for ninth and 10th grade. We did okay. like a British curriculum in my school called IGCSE and it's kind of like IB, okay. there, but like yeah. for ninth and 10th grade. 
And so I did double sciences thinking I was going to be pre-med and it just, none of it clicked for me. It just didn't work out. I see. So, yeah. you, so you had wanted to be a doctor and you decided that wasn't for you. I think I watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy and I uh, wanted okay. to be a doctor, but did I really? I don't know, but it's okay. fine. Then I watched a lot of Boston Legal and now I want to be a lawyer. So hmm. here we are. <laughs> That's good reasoning. <laughs> really bad reasoning, but it's okay. Um, what else was different? We had school uniforms, which you don't have here. So what we, was that like? Um, I think it was easier because I didn't have to pick my outfit every day. Even yeah. if you go to public school in India, you have a uniform, which you don't hear. So. Some, some schools here do. My okay. school was a charter school and had a uniform. Mm-hmm. I always had a problem with public schools that you did not choose to opt into having uniforms because you're being forced by the government to wear something against your will every day. But <laughs> I went to a charter school and I chose to go to that school. Therefore, I was fine wearing a uniform and... I liked it because I'm not the most um, fashion conscientious person. I'm getting better at it. Okay. So, and it was also, you know, like a blue collared shirt or white or, you know, whatever. Uh, they had rules on the colors with khakis. And so I felt mm. a little bit more adult when I wore that as opposed to just like what I'm wearing right now, which is basketball shorts and a t shirt. So, <laughs> I think it did like stunt my like sense of style too. I don't know if you felt that way, but I never had to pick my clothes out for up until 10th grade and then 11th right. grade people were like dress nice like going to school and I was like man I don't I don't know what to do here but I mean I feel like that's a very small issue that I had to deal with but figured it out I think I think in high school I was able to escape this by just being utterly oblivious to any of the <laughs> fashion norms and codes that people had so mm-hmm. I would probably not basketball shorts but I'd wear like jeans and a golf short golf shirt and pay no attention whatsoever to whether they matched, whether the colors made sense. Um, I still actually, everything matches with jeans. Well, that's true. But you know, um, except for like maybe, uh, if you wear a denim jacket, you have to be really careful, which I, I don't, I I may have done that before. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was, I was kind of the same way as you in high school. I, I don't think I was really aware of anything in terms of fashion or if I was, I just didn't really care. So I'd wear basically every day I wore blue jeans with tennis shoes and like a hoodie or something like that to school. I just didn't put a lot of thought into it. I don't think actually, I think I did wear for, I was in like junior ROTC in high school and I I think they might've required us to wear collared shirts. So I might've worn a golf shirt, but, um, other than that, it was just, you know, no holds barred. Wear, I feel like you missed it so much better than me. I had four pairs of overalls that I genuinely wore to class, <laughs> like junior and senior year. And I still look back on it and I took my senior pictures in one of oh, those overalls. No. And were, they, were they all the same color? Um, no, I had two light ones and two dark ones. And it just, wow. it wasn't a look. But my overalls. family isn't allowed to hang them up now. The pictures in the overalls, I took them all down. Interesting. So. It's a bold choice. It was, it was very bold. And my friends hyped me up. They were like, you look so good. And looking back on it, I'm like, what were you guys thinking? I needed yeah. guidance. You, you need better friends. I, yeah, yeah. It's like, I needed interventions back then, but it's That's okay. That's funny. <laughs> what were your uniforms like in India? And how, so like, what do people do to distinguish between different statuses? Like I know in some uh, schools it'll be like what kind of watch you wear mm-hmm. or this is what I've heard from, from friends I have who went to schools with uniforms is there's some sort of like way that people distinguish. Yeah, you know. definitely. It was a really weird like hierarchy situation. 
but the girls had um, like a gray skirt and a pink collared shirt. And the guys had a, also a pink collared shirt and just gray pants or shorts, depending on the season. Okay. And in the wintertime, you just wore like leggings underneath your um, skirt and it was a red sweater. The red and pink really clashed. Yeah, like that's somebody rough. needs to tell that's them. Rough. I thought about that. But so girls would pull down their socks. Um, we wore like Nike, like tennis shoes also. So it was really not a look. Hmm. But girls would pull down their socks. Hair was a big thing because you weren't allowed to keep your hair down. You had to like keep it up in a ponytail. Okay. And so if you put your hair down, you were kind of like rebelling against whatever beauty standard they were trying to suppress. Um, <laughs> but my best friend, actually, she she was really, really like rebellious up against it. And so she would always put her hair down. And a couple weeks into it, my like our warden took like a bunch of coconut oil and put it in her hair. And so she walked around all day with coconut oil in her hair oh, as wow. punishment. So it's also interesting the word warden. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> it evokes connotations of like a prison or something. Did it ever feel like a prison, or is it just like a term? Or you know, sometimes I I've like told you guys before we weren't allowed outside food, and yeah. that like tell, really tell made us it again though. Yeah, <laughs> like tell, tell us the story about about outside food because this is one of the times you got in trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got in trouble a lot in school. Unfortunately, nothing crazy, just like things I thought were reasonable, but right. okay. So we weren't allowed food in boarding school. No outside food. You only get two servings of the food you're given and no more. And they limit you smart. Yeah. yeah so, but I mean, I was constantly starving cause they were also making us work out a lot, but it's okay. I mean, I'm sure it was worse than West Point, but, uh, I, I, I wouldn't know how to compare those two things. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> I, they gave us all the food we wanted. There was no, That's nice. yeah, there was so no food limitations. And the food was so good in boarding school too. Like I remember it being good and not being able to get more. But um, yeah, anyway, so we weren't allowed food. So my dad would help us sneak food in to like the dorm so me and my roommates could share it. And it was a whole sting operation where he'd leave it in the bathroom. I'd come in an hour later, pick it up try to hide from the cameras, all of that. And well, we would hide all of like our empty like chip packets and pizza boxes in the fake tiles in the ceiling. It was an entire operation where one person would be on their hands and knees, other person standing on top of them, trying to like move the fake tile, put the food in, put the towel back in place. And we had nightly checks by the warden. And sometimes there were surprise checks. I keep calling her warden. I feel so bad. But that's just but what it's called the, That's what you call it. This, actually, this is literally sounds like jail. Like you've watched a TV show about jail. Like shakedowns, surprise <laughs> shakedowns, regulations yeah. of what you're going to have. Sounds like a bureaucratic non-jail jail. So. Was, was that... Um, was the term warden, was that like the official title? Mm-hmm. Or was it something bestowed upon by the, the students? So my first two years, they were called house wardens. And then my last year, it changed to house mother. So I think they picked up on okay. <laughs> that warden. Yeah, that's a little doing more palatable. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Something that, you know, some I th- focus groups. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think if you sort of forced adults to, to live under regimes, even much more lenient school regimes, it would be an absolute outrage. I think schools just have a lot of power over students, and that power isn't necessarily wielded in good faith all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, this sounds exactly like a jail. <laughs> Except also, you did nothing wrong. Yeah. Except. Well, no, you did. You got C's. 
That's true. I did. That is, that is a, that's a crime in some communities. That not was, not yes. pointing any out. You're paying for the privilege to go to jail as well. That's right. That's true. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So jail. so you hid the pizza boxes and stuff in your ceiling tiles. Yeah, in the fake tiles. I think yeah. they were made of like styrofoam or something super light, so it okay. wasn't too hard. Well, we had the warden coming in for a surprise check one night. And one of the other girls from another room came running up to us. And she was like, she's coming, hide your food. And we'd been in our beds just like watching Netflix, which laptops also weren't allowed. So we had, the, we had to hide the laptop too. And so this one girl was like trying to help me put all this stuff up. And I was on top of her. She was on her hands and knees. And I was trying really hard to move all of the stuff and get the pizza boxes and the laptops hidden. And the warden like walks in, the girl wobbles off her feet. I fall, I hold onto the fake tile and the whole ceiling comes down. And that was, that was really like, I think that was the day I thought this is, I might just die tonight. Like, I don't know if I can recover from this, but yeah, we got in a lot of trouble. We got everybody else on the floor in trouble because they also hit their stuff in the ceilings. And that's the first thing they did. They went and checked everybody's room and but yeah, it was all my fault, and I still feel bad. This had never occurred to them that people would hide things, because you're talking about like a drop ceiling, right? So you can like lift the tiles up. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It had never occurred to them that people would hide stuff up there. No, they'd found huh. every other place you could possibly have, like in your like closet, behind your yeah. clothes, like everything. They would check your lockers, and I don't know why food was such a big deal, but it was just well because you couldn't have it. To. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, why it was a big deal to them? Right. But, yeah, that, um, that is interesting. And they took our laptops, too. Um, I didn't have a laptop at the time, but my friends got taken away, and I felt really responsible. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, I'm so sorry. It's not to your this fault. Day. It's not your fault. So what was your punishment for that? Like, what did you have to do? Um, I had to do rounds of the cricket field, um, extra rounds in the mornings for, like, two weeks, I think. Um, my roommate, she was injured at the time. Like, something was, like, up with her, so she had to write, I will not eat food again or something like that like 500 times like on a piece of paper it was very um medieval to me but it was fun it's okay I have better stamina now I think because I ran so many rounds of the cricket field yeah, for two years like how a uh, cricket field is bigger than a baseball field isn't it yeah yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good sized field. It's a, it's a big field. And yeah. it's summertime and you wake up at 530 in the morning to like work out for an hour. Yeah. But I had to wake up at five o'clock in the morning so I could do extra 30 minutes of rounds. Yeah. So it's okay. It's, I blocked that part out. So I don't think about it anymore. That sounds, that sounds like a crazy experience. I've, I, I, I can't imagine. Although I, I have been under some pretty draconian educational systems. I was going to say, I feel like maybe I, your like workout routines were worse than uh maybe maybe at at times what were your punishments like did you so so at at west point our punishment our standard punishment which would be i guess your equivalent to running around the cricket field we didn't have a cricket field for (laughs) one thing um but they call them area tours or, or walking tours or colloquially they call them hours so you walk hours and if you, if you do something wrong there, your punishment is, say, 10 hours. And so you have to get dressed up in your full dress uniform with your weapon, which would be a rifle. Mm-hmm. If, you're an undercla- if you're like a first three years or, or a saber if you're a senior, mm-hmm. and you have to just march across this big you know, asphalt area okay. where it's like a quad. So the, the barracks are surrounding like this asphalt area, and you just march back and forth. So hours. you can do, you can do, yeah, when I was there, you could do like, I, 
I think you could do seven hours a weekend. So you could, no, 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 that's not right. 12 hours a weekend. Cause you could do five hours on, you do, I think it was seven hours on Saturday and five hours on Sunday, or maybe the other way around. But regardless, it was something like 12 hours a weekend and you weren't allowed to leave uh, the base really until you got all your hours done. So if you got like a hundred and something hours, which was not unheard of. I I had a friend get over a hundred hours for one, for one thing once you'd be walking for months every every hour is just you walking back and forth for one hour. That sounds way worse. I feel, I feel really good about myself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it sounds somewhat similar though to your experience in the, in the sense of people would like randomly come in and inspect things and, you know, try to, cause also people hid things. That was a big, I think that's probably true of anywhere you have inspections and Mm -hmm. contraband people find places to hide things. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the trickiest spot I ever saw somebody hide something was we had like a, a medicine cabinet above our sink and, you know, it's like a mirror that opens up its medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. And there was a hole in the wall behind the medicine cabinet and somebody had tied a string so he could reach back and he could lower things down into the wall. Oh and it was like tied to a string that was accessible through this hole behind the medicine cabinet. Wow. And he never got caught with, with that that technique. That's but, like um, a budding engineer. That's talent that needs to yeah, be like yeah. really no wow. kidding. That's really creative. Yeah. So boarding it school. Really yeah. does. I mean these these stories of how contraband is being smuggled into the boarding school, it reminds me of uh, of pri- like prison stories. <laughs> uh, the the anecdote in particular I'm thinking about comes from Dostoevsky's Notes from the House mm-hmm. of the Dead, where the entire prison revolved around how uh, convicts were able to smuggle vodka into the uh, into the prison, and that was used as their currency. Wow! Um, it just seems like such a similar experience, except of course people being educated are, uh, you know, they're supposed to be helped by they volunteer to be there in some way or other. Okay. See, when I was working for the state legislature, we did a lot of stuff with Department of Corrections, and one of my duties was to type up. Uh, just kind of categorize any time there was an arrest warrant filed for an employee or a visitor, somebody at the DOC. Mm-hmm. And most of these were for contraband. And unfortunately, I don't remember the best instances. I think I remember one instance somebody threw a football over the fence and the football had drugs inside of it. Um, hmm. You know, there's That's other pretty smart, interesting <laughs> stories that I probably don't remember. But um, it, I mean, when all you have is time on your hands, you know. And you really want it. Usually tobacco or cigarettes or drugs or something of the like. So since your time as a uh, Indian boarding school student, Mm -hmm. you've also become something of a uh, TikTok sensation, (laughs) as they say. This is what I've heard. (laughs) Um, From what they say, and they being, you know, the universal they, uh, (laughs) you're, you're sort of famous on TikTok. So what... I've never used TikTok, okay. um, <laughs> and I, I don't think I have space in my in my uh, very busy schedule for, uh, mm-hmm. for another social media platform because mm-hmm. I can't keep up with the ones I use already. So, <laughs> what is, what is TikTok and like what's the appeal of it? Okay, so I got into TikTok just because I was bored during quarantine, and it's just something okay. like all the younger kids were talking about. So I downloaded it. And it's basically you're using 
these sounds, which are like just like sound bites and making up either jokes or dances or like some kind of humorous thing to the sound. So there's short videos. I think they're only 60 seconds. So the sound is like, is provided by the app? Yeah. So it could be like songs just by like famous artists. Um, or it could be like someone just uploads a video and their original sound becomes a popular I sound see. and then anyone I can see. use it. Okay. So. I see. What you're, I see. So it's, it's like memes, but videos instead of still images. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, like Vine, but instead of making just like content, there's also sounds behind the content. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Kind of okay. like, so like with memes, you're basically supplied a picture mm-hmm. and you add yeah. words yeah. to, to, you know, to do different versions of the meme. But with TikTok, you do different video to go with the sound. Mm-hmm. The sound is provided, it was not provided, but the sound is but kind of the there. base. And then you make your own video. That's a good meme analogy. I'm going to use that to explain it to my dad. Oh, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So TikTok. So ha- like how many videos have you, how many TikTok videos have you made? I've looked at your, your uh, TikTok profile, but mm-hmm. I don't remember. Um, Are we talking like 10, a hundred? No, I think I made maybe like 30. Okay. 30-ish. And how many hours would you say you spent <laughs> making these videos? Um, so I never spend more than maybe 20 minutes on a video, oh, including okay. like coming mm-hmm. up with the idea and just like recording it really quick. Um, which is a bad thing because every time I haven't done my makeup and I'm not looking good, that video tends to blow up. I'm just like, you're, you're kidding me. Uh, I see. It's fine. The uh, algorithm giveth and the <laughs> algorithm taketh away. <laughs> it really does. Just wanted to take a quick second to say that if you're enjoying this podcast and want to help us out, we'd really appreciate it if you give us a follow and a rating on your favorite podcast app. And now back to the show. So last time we talked about TikTok, I had right. that one video that blew up and I had a couple hundred views on it, like 60 something K likes. And then the sound got removed from the app because it had a curse word in it. So, oh no. So my video is still there and you can still see like the statistics on it, but like uh, yeah, you're not going to get it, the joke anymore. It did have a uh, very bad word. Yeah. yeah. It had a bad word in it. But Do your parents know about your TikTok? Yeah, they presence. do. They watch How my they, TikToks. And they do? They do. Are they yeah. supportive of this? Um, They don't get it. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. I yeah. like voluntarily show them to my dad and he just looks at me with this blank look. Like, I don't understand what's funny and why yeah. people like this. But but they're cool with it. My brother, he's into it. He's younger than me. Okay. Um, How old is your brother? He's 20. He's going to turn 21 next month. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, last time since we spoke, I have a new video up. I had a couple others okay. that like were moderately successful, but this one has almost a million views. So that's what? the most Holy cow. I've ever gotten. And what that's is wild. the premise of the video? Um, or do we just have to go watch it? I can tell you. It's just, it's just a story from my childhood that I was thinking of one day. And I'm basically talking about how this is going to be really strange content for your podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm talking about... My mom, when she was younger, I, I had like a lying issue. I would lie a lot about okay. a lot of things when I was like maybe like six or seven. And so she told me that every mom in the world can read their kid's mind, yep. but they don't tell them. And she's telling me because she loves me extra. And so I shouldn't uh, lie to her anymore. So I stopped that's lying. That's devious. And yeah. I thought my mom could read my mind. And I think she 
she thought I would get the joke and as I got older and I'd grow out of it, but she underestimated how just dumb I am. And so <laughs> I believed it until I was 12. And so whenever I was around my mom, I would just blink my mind. I would just not think of anything. So I'm really good at meditation. Oh, interesting. But that's what the story was about. And it blew up because a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, me too. My mom told me she could see a red dot on my forehead when I lied and things like that. Huh. So it was relatable. So I'm glad some people found humor in That's, my childhood. I don't think my parents didn't. Oh, no. You know what my mom would do? Oh. So her, her version of this is she would tell us to stick out our tongues. And somehow, if she looked at your tongue, she would know if you were lying. Oh, my God. Why? So, so she used this. And she's since explained to me her reasoning on this. <laughs> it's more like when the cops ask somebody to take a uh, polygraph. The person's willingness to take a polygraph indicates more than the actual polygraph itself because polygraphs are fairly unreliable. They're inadmissible in court. They're they can they can easily be manipulated. Mm-hmm. So they they will use someone's willing. You know, if somebody says, "Give me a polygraph," "Give me a polygraph," I'm not lying. Mm-hmm. They're probably they're more likely to be telling the truth. Whereas if they say, "Will you take a polygraph?" and they're like, "No." Maybe they're lying. So okay. she used this as like a polygraph sort of thing. So she would say, stick out your tongue. And if we, if, because little <laughs> kids are so transparent, they'll like, we would cover our mouth yeah. and we'd look scared. And so she'd know, oh, you're lying. But if we immediately stuck out our tongue and said, see, look, look, she knew we were telling the truth. So that was her, that was her uh, technique. I need to save these for whenever, hopefully I become a parent one day, just store them in the back <laughs> of my head. Yeah. My, uh, my family never really had any of those, those things. I think it was because um, my mom really should have been an attorney because she was just really good at asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. So that if you're, if you're telling a lie, eventually enough questions will just make it fall apart because yeah. you can't keep up with that right. unless you have a comprehensive story with a clear uh, exit strategy. But at some yeah. point, if you're, if you're making up the, the story, you're just going to contradict yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think my brother and I just were very, we weren't very rule breaking kind of people. Um, when I was, uh, when I was in third grade, we, uh, we were banned from playing video games on weekdays. In hindsight, that's a very good policy. Mm. But this was like this absolute act of oppression. <laughs> yeah. From my point that, of that view. That is oppressive. It was, it was, and because, you know, some of my friends could play on weekdays. So I'd go to school and they'd be like, yeah, yesterday I was playing such and such. And I was like, well. What was it at the time? Halo or something like that? What, what did you play? Uh, I don't, I think there was, there was some time where we played Call of Duty. Um, okay. I think early childhood i did more like you know gamecube and wii stuff uh you know nintendo platforms but um what i realized looking back is that i never once realized that if my parents were out of the house they couldn't enforce that rule (laughs) never never got into my imagination until one of my friends had a story of one of one of their friends no i mean not that one of their friends his brother was banned from playing xbox for a time and of course snuck onto the platform uh when his parents were away and i just realized wait why didn't i think of that (laughs) you just took it as a given well i I guess i can't play yeah Uh, that's hilarious that's so funny you were such a good kid wow (laughs) maybe so so speaking of so one one tip 
one way to, if you think somebody's lying to you, one way to actually kind of crack them is to ask them questions very quickly. So somebody tells you something happened and you ask them, it can be really basic questions, but if you ask them rapid fire questions about the, you know, the alleged incident or whatever, unless they've thought it through really well, they're going to have to stop and think mm-hmm. to, if they're, if they're making up the story as they go, you have to stop and think about it. Whereas if, if, you know, if William tells me that he went to Walmart earlier and I say, what'd you drive? How long did it take you to get there? You know, fire all these questions off. He'll know off the top of his head. But if he's lying, he'll have to like stop and think about it. So that's one tip. Not, not foolproof. Or you can ask them to stick out their tongue. That's also. <laughs> See if they do that. Great yeah. feature more. Or tell them you can read their mind. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, you should, so you should keep that in the back of your, uh, in your back pocket for when you do depositions one day. Mm-hmm. Just tell them like, you know, I can read your mind. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be over there, like, making people stick their tongue out. <laughs> <laughs> and the judges are going to go uh, unusual techniques, but, you know, yeah. effective. Yeah. This, like, this class of 2023, really, I don't know what they were teaching them. I'm yeah. Like, well, they're going to yeah. be so confused. Teaching some real uh, unorthodox <laughs> things over there in Georgia. Um, speaking of that, okay, so we, we just started law school first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Tuesday. This past Tuesday. Four days of Yep. Yep. And orientation was the week prior. Mm-hmm. What did you do, if anything, over this? I know you, you said you did a lot of stuff, but what did you do over the summer to get ready for that? And how long, how, first, first, how long have you been uh, kind of prepping for law school? Um, so I wasn't prepping for very long. I don't okay. know if I told you this, but I never took the LSAT. So I just never, like it didn't compute in my head. I never had to really you, study. You've never anything. taken the LSAT? Mm-mm. No, I did like a UGA program where you cannot take the LSAT and they'll oh. let a couple people in that way. Wait, is that the double dog program? Mm-hmm. Or is that? So oh. if you went to school here already. I didn't so realize that. that. I, I okay. feel like you're, you're missing a very important part of the human experience by not <laughs> taking the LSAT. Yeah. And this isn't the law school experience. I think even if you have no intention of being a lawyer, <laughs> maybe not pay for the full test, but at least take a practice LSAT because it is, it is a beautiful test. <laughs> and I very rarely say that about standardized tests, but it is, it is a work of art. It teaches, you a, you. It teaches how, you a lot. But how will you know how to do logic games? How will I know? I don't know. know. Okay, so you didn't take the LSAT. Mm-mm. I didn't realize I was talking to such a slacker. Really? But... Yeah, I found the loophole. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Everything I could not to take it. Um, okay, so you didn't take the LSAT. Yeah, I studied for it a little but... bit because my backup was to take it in case I didn't get into UGA. Okay. But I really didn't put my heart and soul into it. I, yeah, I, I didn't realize that, that double dogs... How many? What are there, like six or seven? people i think so yeah, yeah. so I did, I did not realize they didn't require the lsat i assumed i don't know i assumed that they well, did, it but. would make sense because the purpose of the lsat is that it's standardized and so the institution that you get your undergraduate degree isn't relevant um but if you yeah. know the institution because it's the same institution then you can kind of trust the yeah. grades and transcript and you know what they mean no it, it actually does make sense i i agree with you i just mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me I'm, I'm just disappointed yeah. that people don't take the LSAT. Yeah. I highly recommend it. A lot of other schools have it too. It's like an ABA requirement. You can only let like a certain percentage of the class in that way. Okay. So it just depends on the school. I think I really don't know. I only looked into UGA. So when did you start kind of uh, prepping for, for the semester? 
Um, I started at the very beginning of the semester, as soon as or the summer, as soon as okay. I got done with my finals. So in like the May ish. Mm-hmm. I think June. I started to like panic. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to law school. I've never taken the LSAT. Like, I need to do more than everybody else." Was like my thinking. Yeah. Because um, I was always thinking about, "Oh, I didn't take the LSAT. I don't know how good I'd be at it. What if I'd be horrible?" And that would have been an indicator. But anyway. Yeah, I don't. I. I haven't done a lot of reading on this, but I don't think there's a strong correlation between LSAT scores and performance in law school. There's some correlation. I, I want to say off the top of my head, it's like 0. 0.4, but if you combine it with GPA, it's it? much more effective. Okay. I, 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 that, fat check me Like on I that. said, I haven't, like I haven't done a lot of reading. Help I think I read that. one article about this, and I'm, I'm pretty probably like three years ago, and I'm pretty sure that article said there was not a much of a correlation at all but there maybe there is i've maybe. i've heard that specifically compared to other standardized tests it's one of the most predictive on the market but that might just be because oh, other okay. standardized tests are really bad and once again i do not have the citations for that one <laughs> yeah i don't have any no receipts here so i just have no idea how i'm gonna do in law school you'll be you'll 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 be fine yeah, yeah. it's fine just don't hide things in your ceiling yeah, that's not going to do that. Yeah. So you not. started prepping in like May or June, mm-hmm. and what are what are the, some of the, what are some of the things you did? So I read um, a book on what to do in law school. It was called One L Ever Ride. Yep. Um, that was a good book. I liked it. Um, I read that first, and then kind of went off of that to see what else I wanted to do. So I did a Coursera course on intro to just American like civics, just like the legal system and how it works. Um, it was like a one month course. Then I did that Harvard zero L program that they made available. Yep. And How was that? It was good. It was really different from the Coursera course. And I thought they were going to be super similar, but the first one was just, here's how the legal system works. Here's what the basic stuff you should know. And the second one was, this is exactly what you're going to be taught in law school. And here's what you should be prepped for, for your classes. So that was good too. And then I did the early start program, which you did as right. well. So I did those like four things, I think, and it just helped me not be as stressed starting law school. Yeah. But coming into my first week, I don't know if they helped, I'll be honest. We haven't talked about any of those things yet. Well, what what did you do? Like, what was what was your strategy coming into the first week? Did you have, did you think through, like, did you do all your readings in advance? Did you do them as you went? Like, how did you, how did you think about that? Um, so for Tuesday and Wednesday's readings, I did those a little bit in advance, um, okay. whenever they came out, but then I went over them again, Thursday and Friday. I did them the day before Thursday. None of you are in my section. I don't think, No. but we had four classes. And so that was a lot of readings on Wednesday Yeah. and that was really hard. I'm never going to put myself in that situation again. I'm going to, I learned from this first week. But I thought the readings took a lot of time. That was my issue. I don't yeah. know about you guys. What I found is I felt like I felt like when I was doing the readings, especially when you get into a case, there's a there's a conveyor belt of meaningful information. And you really don't have the time to pick everything that could be necessarily meaningful out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to be fairly selective about what you think is important and isn't important. Um, because what's, what's bothering me right now is I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of what I went through this week. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like it was that hard to stay on top of it, but I'm going to have to retain this 
and several other weeks of uh, cases and doctrines mm-hmm. and how to apply them. And that starts, that starts to become a real issue. Yeah, and you need to retain it for about 16 weeks. <laughs> Plus, and this is also life. useful yeah. to yeah to being an attorney. Like I think a lot of this stuff, depending on what you do, uh, could be more or less useful. Like torts, if you're a really if you're in maybe a, a really specific niche attorney, you may not need to know mm-hmm. the elements of battery or something. But you definitely need it for the exam. So you've got to hold on to it for at least like 16 weeks. And the bar. I mean, you have bar prep. And the to, bar, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have bar prep to kind of, you know, get you there. But uh, just reading on the internet because I uh, prepared too much. Some people say, okay, you might want to take this class in law school, that class in law school, because we're gonna get during the bar exam prep period is really hard. Mm. I'm not sure which classes those are. I'd have to make a list. But. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you did some of your reading up front, mm-hmm. and then you did some kind of the day before class. Mm -hmm. Did you brief all your cases yourself? Mm -hmm. I definitely briefed them. Okay. The book I read over the summer, one Oliver ride had some briefing exercises in it. Okay. And so I tried those over the summer. Didn't get them at all. I just tried my best. And then this first week I tried to put that and the early start information together and really brief as well as I could still think I'm not doing a good job because mine are like two to three pages and they're supposed to be one page. Uh, so I'm yeah. definitely writing too much, but they tell you that it's going to come as like the semester goes on. Okay. Hopefully that's the case. I briefed all my cases. Um, I highlighted in my book and like book briefed just in case yeah. I got cold called on because I will probably just like blank. And, and where did you learn to book brief? Um, I don't think I learned it anywhere. I've just always like taken notes in my textbooks all of undergrad so that's just kind of what I did. Highlighted gotcha. what I think I might get called on and wrote down things that I also thought might get called on. So. Yeah. Wait, what's a book brief? You, I've heard this term, but no, like nobody's explaining to me what is a book brief. I think you just write down like things you would write down in your case brief in your notebook, like the issue, the facts and stuff. You can write them in your book too, or just like highlight them and like make little notes. Oh, here it is. Um, I've but, seen all those yeah. in my used textbooks. Yeah. <laughs> now that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I also have used books, so they all have highlighting on them already. So I'm in my head, I'm like, not the green one, the pink one's mine. So it's not the easiest. So Law School Confidential is a book that has a, brief, a book brief. They recommend book briefing. So like there's the case brief, which is a separate document you create that has your procedural history, the, you know, black letter law issues, or the facts, the issue, the holding a rationale, cons- um, dissent, whatever whatever you want to be in mm-hmm. it. Um, but then the book brief is basically where you do that. And there are different ways to do this, but like Law School Confidential recommends using, and you'll see a lot of people do this, like rainbowing the case. So you have a different color highlighter for each category that you would make on your brief. So like say the procedural history, or the, the facts, right? So like the facts of the case are going to be one color. The precedent cited in the case is going to be another color. The, you know, the, the legal reasoning used by the judge who wrote the opinion, is going to be another color. And then you make notes in the margins too. And it, it lets you more easily reference back to, it, it makes it easier to find things in the, in the case, in your book. Um, I, I think I didn't read the, I didn't read the whole book, law school confidential full disclosure, but I think they recommend 
doing that over doing like separate briefs. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people kind of do a mixture of both because it's useful to have like a one page summary of a case. Yeah. All of undergrad, I wrote all my notes. That's just how I memorize things. Like handwriting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm quickly realizing I don't have time for that in law school. Like the, I felt like the reading took enough time that I shouldn't have to write everything down too. Yeah. I also like book briefing a lot. I think I might go with that and maybe do actual briefs only for outlining purposes. So for the future before the test. Yeah. One thing that I'm, that I've didn't start doing, but I think is going to be useful going forward. And professor Coonan, I think recommended this, but, um, like when I read a paragraph, I try to write a very short summary of what that paragraph said, or like the main point from the paragraph mm-hmm. beside it. Mm-hmm. It makes it, especially like with some of the professors when they're like grilling you, yeah. you can, you can very quickly find things that you may not have thought were important for your brief, mm-hmm. but the <laughs> professor thinks they're important. So mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier to kind of find, it also makes it easier to see the flow of logic. Mm-hmm. If you can see the main points out on the beside the paragraphs makes it easier to see like the, the structure of the case mm-hmm. but that's one thing that i've started doing have you guys been cold called on yet oh yeah first week wait really oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. i i did one, so i mean it depends some professors do have the like designated uh, victim of the day oh. um <laughs> and i never got that experience which to be honest i'd prefer because a lot of times with the with the cold call, if the, especially if they're asking about a case, they're asking for a specific thing about that case. Mm-hmm. And yeah. no ma- if you have a bunch of information on that case, but you don't have that specific thing, um, then you, uh, you don't really have anything. Yeah. And that's yeah. just disappointing. Um, the, I, got, I got a call in a civil procedure, and I didn't exactly understand what I was being asked for, even though I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of the case. Right. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that in the future. Have you been cold called yet? No, not, not yet. Not once. I participated voluntarily. What, once, can you explain quickly no. what a cold call is? Yes. So a cold call for, I don't know if it's different in undergrad, but in law school is when you're, professor will just call on a random person and ask them a question about the case but it'll be successive questions usually and they'll really try to get you to explain the case to the rest of the class and maybe even push you back on points that the case had and like debate with you on the theory and stuff of it and one thing law school is known for is the socratic method Right. right so that they and what's what can be frustrating is they often don't like clarify after so you'll you'll go on a the professor will go on a string of questions and back and forth with the student but sometimes they don't ever like double back and be like hey just to be clear you know the rule that Mm -hmm. we're trying to tease out is this they just kind of move on yeah and you're kind of left to to figure it out for yourself yeah my notes are a mess i was like wait the professor said this the student said this he didn't correct the student so i guess that was right so i'm just writing everything down trying to figure it out later but yeah it's like hide the ball. I know one of our professors was talking about how we need to take copious and extensive notes. And I see why, because, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. This is so different than undergrad mm-hmm. or really anything mm-hmm. for better and for worse. It's mm-hmm. just different. I think it'll help us become good lawyers in the future, but in the yeah. moment I'm just so terrified. Well, Socratic, the Socratic method is also the 
technique used by attorneys in like depositions and in questioning mm-hmm. witnesses for trials and stuff. So it's the same technique. You have, you have somewhere you want the person to go and you get them there by asking them questions, which is, it's like, it's an art form and some of them are really good at it. Mm-hmm. And some of the professors I think are probably, are maybe not so good at it because they just end up wandering all over the place. But some of them really like, they really make a statement, but by asking the right questions, they kind of get everybody mm-hmm. where you're going. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely do your readings. That's yeah. it. <laughs> The one thing you need to know that I've learned from this week, if you don't do your readings, you're kind of screwed. Which, which classes do you have right now? Um, so I have all the same classes as you guys, except I don't have torts. I have property. So which classes are those? I have civil procedure, contracts, property, legal research, and legal writing. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite yet? I think. Or a least favorite? (laughs) I have a favorite. I'm really enjoying property so far. Really? I have... A really good professor. He's been really chill so far, and he's told us if you get cold, called, cold called on, you can pass. Like, give a certain number of passes if you're just like not into it. But we've had some really <laughs> philosophical discussions these past two days, and they were very, very interesting and really engaging. Okay, so that was good. W- was that surprising that you found property interesting, or definitely? Okay, yeah. I didn't think property would be something I'd be interested in. I've taken a contracts course before at UGA when I did the legal study certificate. And so I thought I'd like contracts the most because I have a basic understanding of it. And I thought it was so interesting when I took it two semesters ago. Um, But it's just really confusing so far. I don't know what I'm learning. Yeah, it's a little confusing. Yeah. Do you guys, I think we might have the same professor. For contracts? Mm -hmm. Poonam? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's, He's good. Yeah. He's, no, he's I, I like him a lot. I think it's really funny. He, he always like stops and just says, you should be taking copious notes. <laughs> like, like the other day he had, he had literally just started talking. Mm. Uh, he had just started class and he yes. hadn't even said anything related to the class yet. <laughs> and he like stops. And he's like, you should be taking copious and extensive <laughs> notes. And everybody just like started laughing. Which yes. is so but, interesting to me because his class is completely online. So it's over zoom. Like, yeah. Can you see me taking notes? <laughs> Well, he acts like, he's like, I see some of you are sitting very still. You should be taking copious notes. Yes. But uh, he, he puts on a big act and, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. I like the it. theatrical aspect of it, too. Like yeah. the yes. early start program, Professor Barnett. Yeah, he was He, he was, was fantastic. so engaging. Yeah. It was a really yes. good time. Yes, that was my welcome to law school moment, you know, besides actually moving down here, is when uh, Professor Kuhn and, and I was just like, this is what I came to law school expecting and wanting and I was mm-hmm. also terrified at the same time. But then you realize, mm-hmm. yeah, because okay. William got cold, you got cold called in in contracts. Yeah, it was it was, yeah. A, it was a fun cold call, you know. Little, uh, uh, it's a hypothetical cold call, so I was you yeah know, able. That was fun, honestly. I mm-hmm. sound deranged saying that, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Well, nobody's arguing that you're not deranged. <laughs> yes. No. We all have a couple screws loose if we're here. Honestly, you know, I see why lawyers get the reputation they get. I mean, we're not lawyers yet. We're one weekend, but you know, I, so I we're get we're almost there. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the first week really, like that, that. That's really the important part of the experience. The rest right. is just. It's just like additional stuff. Yeah. It's a formality, really. The first week is what really, really qualifies you to practice <laughs> law. I was thinking about opening an office, honestly, already. Already. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, I understand the the. Uh, the basic dynamics of 
dynamics of intentional battery. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what that's else enough. do you need to know? Just you know, get, just a few. I think I need a bit more in civil procedure. Just keep your <laughs> practice very specific. I you only know, do intentional battery claims. <laughs> a future, okay. you know, a few more things in civil procedure, and then I can just start suing people. I'll yeah, say, somebody walks yeah. in, they're like, "I want to sue somebody for negligence." You're like, "Nope, I didn't take that." <laughs> I didn't take that part of the course. Or like in two months, come back to me and I'll get and we'll get negligence. And so you know now I'll go go help out my parents and my friends. You know for anybody that just happened to beat them up or stumble them or whatever. You know the past twenty years and just rake in fees. So Nishka, are you involved in any uh, like extracurricular type stuff? Because you've been in Athens for three, mm-hmm. what four four and a half years? Yeah. No. Four, yeah, four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. So you're pro- are you pretty tied into the community? Like, do you do anything outside of school? Yeah, definitely. So I, I love Athens. It's like part of why this was the only school I applied to. Yeah. Like I just didn't want to leave. This and is the only school you applied to. Mm-hmm, Cause wow. I never took the LSAT. I couldn't apply oh, anywhere right. else. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. But, um, yeah. yeah. So I didn't want to leave partly because I'm like, I am really tied into the community. Right. I've been in a lot of clubs for four years um, I do a lot of community service around, um, just like around the town. So I work with middle schools, specifically Coyle Middle School, and I mentor um, a couple middle school students. So I don't want to leave them either. Um, shout out if you're listening to this podcast in the future, because one of them wants to be a lawyer when she grows up. Oh, so cool. That yeah. was what we bonded over. Um, I did that. I was on a couple exec boards last year for student organizations. Okay. But trying to move away from undergrad organizations and more Good into call. law school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's just time. It needs to happen. Yeah. So I haven't joined any law school organizations What, what yet. organizations were you with? Um, I was in a service sorority called Gamma Sigma Sigma. Okay. And um, I did sustainability stuff for them. So composting, recycling, things like that I was in charge of. Um, I was an Inspire UGA, which is... Um, also student org that works with middle school students. That's how I got involved with them. So they work with them to get them like higher education resources, like technical school resources, things like that. Because Athens, Clark County has one of the highest high school dropout rates of the country. Really? Yeah. Which is really sad considering we have UGA right here. Yeah. And it's also one of the poorest counties in the country, I think. Really? Or at least in Georgia. My professor told me that. I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. If somebody wanted to get involved in, is there like a way for people to get involved in like tutoring or mentoring? Yeah. So how, if somebody wanted to get involved in that, how would they do that? Um, so specifically, if you wanted to work with middle school students, you could go to Inspire UGA or you could go to Clark County Mentors. Um, that's a longer mentorship program where you get paired with a mentor for a year or more and you hang out with them once a week, I think. Okay. If you wanted to tutor, there's Thomas Lay After School Program. I've worked with them a couple times. Um, and what, do they, and you would just look this up online, I guess? It's all online. Um, it's also on the UGA it's like student orgs website. You can sort it by the kind of um, org you want to get involved with. So if you type in like education or community service, they'll all show up. And they're very welcoming, very easy to join. So I highly recommend it. I had a really good time the past four years getting to know the community outside this little UGA bubble. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can be hard to like, cause I've moved around a lot in mm-hmm. the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it, if you don't deliberately try to get involved in a community, it's very easy to just sit on kind of the outskirts yeah. of it and observe it. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't always good at getting involved in communities, but I, sometimes I was, sometimes I wasn't, mm-hmm. but, um, 
But yeah, that's good. Um, I think like tutoring and mentoring is a good way to do that because it's, it's very selfless and you don't really, I don't know. Do they, do they pay at all or is it all volunteer? Yeah. So no, it's, it's all definitely volunteer. Right. I, I figured yeah. it was, it was all volunteer. Mm-hmm. So you're really getting nothing in return, but, but it is very satisfying. That yeah. kind of, I, I've never done that specifically, but I was involved in boy scouts and I used to referee like mm-hmm. some youth sports and stuff like that. Okay. There's um, the girls and boys club of Athens and I know they're in the YMCA. They're looking for like coaches and stuff for their yeah. sports teams. If, like tutoring isn't maybe someone's thing. They could always go into coaching basketball or swimming and things like that. Yeah. Another, another bit of advice I would have if if people are interested in sports, but they feel like they don't have the time because coaching is like very involved and Mm -hmm. normally requires like a pretty significant time commitment. Mm -hmm. Um, look at refereeing because you can, it's, it's just easier. You can go do a game somewhere. I used to referee soccer a lot. You can go referee a game and then go home Mm -hmm. and you don't, it's not as involved. Right. And I know a lot of students may, some students may have the time to coach a team. Mm-hmm. A lot of students probably don't, probably not, um, probably not in law but <laughs> if they wanted to get involved in something and maybe stay in shape while they're at it, mm-hmm. you go referee a sport. Yeah. Um, also tell us, you know, give us a one minute description of, uh, you refereed a American football game in Latvia. What? <laughs> oh yeah. That was, uh, you know, let, let's, let's save that for another time, but there, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tease that. Okay. Uh, let's tease, let's, let's I, make a mental there note. was a time when I was involved in helping to referee an American football game in Latvia between a Russian team and a Latvian team. So it was very ironic because wow. it's Latvians and Russians playing a American sport refereed by Americans. So it was very, I thought it was very meta, sort of like symbolic <laughs> of some world affairs. But how did yeah, you even get into that? Well, okay, so I'll tell the story. Okay. This is way this is way off topic, <laughs> but um, I was I was when I was in the army, I was mobilized to Eastern Europe for a short period of time, like six or I think it was a total of like four or five months. But it, it took us a while to get there and get back. So it was like I think it was about a total of six months for us. But while we were in Latvia. I got a call from the embassy and somebody at the embassy had gotten a call from, there was this American football league. It's like a club sport there. And they called the embassy asking if they had anybody who could referee football Mm -hmm. because nobody in Latvia knows how to play football, much less referee it. So they knew that there was an American army unit nearby. So they called us. And so I put together a team of guys to go referee this game in (laughs) Latvia. And it was between a Russian team and a Latvian team. And it was like very, um, um, enthusiastic but low level American football. <laughs> like a guy got knocked out on the field. Oh, so they're no. like very, very into it, but oh, wow. also really bad at football. That was my experience with uh, refereeing American football. I'm not a football referee, but um, so yeah, I think we're, we're kind of coming up on our, on our time limit. Do you have any last thoughts or anything you want to leave us with? Um, I think, like in terms of advice for incoming law school students, I've only had one week, so I don't have a lot. However, I do think it's important to like enjoy the summer before you come in. Um, I was doing yeah. all that stuff, but at the same time, I was spending a lot of time with my family. I was just chilling, caught up on so many Netflix shows. And so that was important because now... The quarantine probably helped with that, huh? It definitely helped. Yeah. I couldn't do much else anyway. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, like this first week, I got so absorbed into the readings 
and I had a good time with them, but at the same time, I've never spent that much time studying in my life. So important to do all the good things you like before you come in. So that's there too. Cool. Thanks. But yeah, Thanks. thank you for having me. That was yes. that was yes. really fun. Thank you for recounting your excellent stories from the TikTok to the uh, oh, thank you. pizza <laughs> and ceiling. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. <laughs>